When I was a little boy, I got names given to me that weren't terms of endearment. They were more name-calling. Anybody get that on the playground or something like that? For some reason, people called me Cootie Cody. I don't know why. You're laughing. You can laugh, because I laugh too. I'm like, who cares? Cooties? Whoever marries is going to like cooties. Right, babe? Okay, another nickname for my darling. Cootie Cody. People thought that would make me mad or sad or whatever they were trying to do with these names to kind of evoke something within me. And I was like, whatever, I know who I am. But I was given many nicknames as a boy that were fun. Uh, one of the worst things I enjoy doing, or really don't enjoy doing, that's why it's the worst thing, I don't like to shave. Any of you like shaving all the time? I don't like shaving. So I would often go a week without shaving when I finally hit puberty. I was like, oh, I can have whiskers and stuff. So my first nickname in that area was Cactus Cody, because I was always prickly. Then in high school, I was called Codog. Codog. Oh, I like that one. My youth pastor even had a dog dish at his home for me. I was there so often. They put the food in there. It was human food. And then in the seminary, they called me Iceman or Codex Vaticanus, Tus Cargus. Those are language terms anyways. Today, we're going to look at some names. Names that are very specific. We're going to even look at a passage where people try to do some things to Jesus and name calling gets thrown in there, but Jesus doesn't stoop to their level. He instead looks at the greatest name. If you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8, in many ways, the Bible is the story of deliverance. The Bible is a story of deliverance. And the two real issues are these. Real physical bondage. And the Bible talks about situations where God comes to liberate and free people. We saw last week in Exodus chapter 6 that God is going to come and liberate those people from the hand of Pharaoh, from the Egyptians, to liberate them. And there is a concern for human liberty in Scripture. But there are two issues of deliverance in Scripture. Not just physical. And unfortunately, some people think that's the main purpose of the Exodus. That the main purpose of the Exodus that they be freed from the bondage of this physical barrier they have. Though real and as important as that is, Humans are not the main purpose of creation. God is and His glory. And the Bible deals with a slavery far worse than physical slavery. What is worse is the spiritual bondage and slavery of sin, which brings alienation between us and God. Look at John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. Jesus says this, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
bunch of the Jewish people around him. They're starting to debate a little bit here and argue. They answer him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Again, some people think this is only dealing with physical bondage and the release of that into freedom. Jesus speaks to a deeper level. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. And it's interesting how John writes this and how Jesus speaks this. He uses descendants because they're say, they say, hey, we're descendants. And Jesus is going, oh, you can be a descendant, but are you a son? I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen the fathers, I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do whatever you've heard from your Father. Notice in your Bibles how what Jesus talks about the Father, see how it's capitalized? Look how he says, You've heard it from your Father. That's not capitalized. He's talking about a different Father. And they say, Abraham is our Father. They answered, if you were Abraham's children, doesn't use descendants, children, Jesus said, then you would do what the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children. They protested. Only the Father, the only Father we have is God Himself. And then Jesus points out, you're not following the Father, capital F. You're following your Father, the devil. It's interesting, as I was mapping through this, we're going through Christ in the Old Testament. We're going through each book of the Old Testament, seeing Christ in this. And I was mapping out Exodus. I was like, we could do two years in Exodus, but we'll just do a month and a half. And I was going through it, and if you notice, we, we started with Jesus is greater than Moses. Then last week we went to Exodus chapter 6. And in theory, the way I would think through, we would do then Exodus chapter 7 through 11, then to the Passover. But for some reason, because of you in this room right now, Last week I did Exodus 6. Today I'm doing Exodus 3. And I was mapping, I'm going, God, I'm doing Exodus. Great, Christ is greater than Moses. Then I'm going to do Exodus 3. Oh, it's great. And then we'll do Exodus 6, then 7 through 11. And God was like, uh-uh-uh. Do Exodus 6 first, then Exodus 3. And at first I was like, God, that's not the right order. But the Lord was saying, oh, if someone who missed last week, needs to hear Exodus 3 today. Would you pray with me? Because today 
As I say this every Sunday, today is one of those days where, oh yeah, we're getting deep in the Word. We can see the beauty of Christ in the Old Testament. And today's passage in Exodus is one of those where I might just take off my shoes as Moses did. This is holy ground. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for today. I thank You that today You've given us time to just get away and focus on Your Word. And Lord, there's a specific reason You're having us look at this passage at this time, at this hour. Lord, may we see You. So Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, that we would set aside our distractions. Anything that is not of You in this room would be silenced in the name of Jesus. This is Your time. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go to John as we're in John here. Starting with verse 48 up to about 52. The tension gets deeper. Jesus just said, hey, you're not following the Father, capital F. You're following your Father. You're children of the devil. And they're just like, what? So they start name-calling. They go beyond nicknames and they start name-calling. They say, oh Jesus, you're, you're not a true descendant. Oh Jesus, uh, you're demon-possessed. Oh Jesus. And sometimes names can be fun. For instance, when I was a little boy, I don't know why my father nicknamed me Monkey. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I climbed trees all the time. I fell out twice and broke both collarbones at different times. Monkey. And then for some reason, he called my brother Buzzard. I don't know. And then my firstborn, I nicknamed Monkey. My secondborn, Buzzard. My third, I put them together. Bunky. I don't know what to do here. Names can be fun, but names targeted towards someone when your name calling shows the inadequacy of that person not knowing who the other person truly is. And they begin this discussion and it gets very thick. There's a long disagreement from the Jewish people and Jesus points out you're truly not God's children. Even though you're the descendants, you're not His children. And they get angry and begin calling Him names. Again, He doesn't stoop to their level. Look at verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? They ask. Right there, Jesus could have said, yes, with a great voice, right? If he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Abraham. Of course he is. They're clueless on who truly Jesus is. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so do the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replies. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me, though you do not know him. I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Here we come. 
your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Hebrews 11, 8 through 13 talks about this hall of faith, these men and women and people who had the faith in God. Even in the Old Testament, they knew that Christ was coming. They saw in different ways, they believed the promise and knew. The Jewish people are just, what are you talking about, Jesus? Look what he says. Look what they say. Verse 57. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? You're crazy, Jesus. What are you talking about? And then here we go. John 8, 58. If you have a pencil, underline this one. Everyone should know John 8, 58. Jesus answered by saying, here we go. I tell you the truth. And usually when Jesus says that, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I tell you the truth. Usually when he says that, people need to sit down, put the seatbelt on, because what he's about to say is going to rock your world. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. When I was a little boy and I first read that, I went, oh, I found an heir in the Bible. I did. I was like, look, there's an heir in the Bible. Because look what Jesus is saying. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. It should say, I was. Jesus always existed, right? Before Abraham was even born, Christ existed. And I thought, oh, I found an heir in the Bible. It should say, before Abraham was born, I was. Because he's God. Just as with Abraham, all humans that come into existence get to this point of death and pass. But Jesus never had a beginning or will never have an ending. All people were born. They have this, that's what we have. We have these things called belly buttons. We were born. Jesus never had a beginning. Even though he was born, born he always existed he has always been the eternal son of god so my thought was jesus should have said before abraham was born i was i'm god boom i win worship me right that's true but jesus is saying more than that he takes on god's most personal name and applies it to himself the divine name of god jesus not only shares god's nature but he shares his name and says before abraham was born i am ego eimi i am in the greek it's ego eimi jesus states that i am saying to be god and what happens? Look at the next verse. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. 
blasphemy. He just equated himself with God and even took on his personal name, kill that man, is their thought. But Jesus hid himself, slipped away from the temple grounds because it wasn't his time to die yet. That will be coming soon. Where does he get this great title? I am. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we are going through this great section of Scripture. Exodus. And I encourage you this week, and all the way through Easter, I encourage you to read Exodus chapter 1 through 15. Read it once a week. Read it once a day. You can take time. Read sections of it. We're going to be going through this again and again. Read Exodus chapter 1 through 15. Moses has had 40 years of, we could call, stature. He was brought up in this great household. Pharaoh's daughter took him. He was given so much. 40 years of stature, then 40 years of solitude. Moses kills a man. Runs away. 40 years of seclusion. Chapter 3. Let's start with verse 6. Well, let's, let's go to verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had come over to look, there's this bush that's burning. God called him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Here's this bush that's burning, but it's not being burnt up. And something supernatural is happening here. Moses comes, and this is holy ground. Then he said, look at verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Remember, whenever the Lord uses this name formula, it's saying that I'm the covenant God. And what I said and I promised will happen. Don't look at your circumstances. Keep your focus on me. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In the past, I worked in such a way through the forefathers. I am obligated to intervene at this specific moment to free my people. That's what God is claiming in this phrase, this promise. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So, I have come down to rescue. Rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing of milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites. And he goes through all these people. This is going to happen. 
I've heard your cries. I'm coming to save you. God plans a rescue. I know about your distress. I'm coming to deliver you. Verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he is going to rescue you and do it. I'm going to throw in Sylvester Stallone, the perfect matchup, and they're going to win and destroy Pharaoh. Well, that, that's not what it says in my Bible. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Even though Moses is being sent, the main character is God. Because we will see that Moses doesn't have much to offer. He's not that strong. He can't articulate the things he wished he could say. What? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, just verse 11 here. Again, he's bringing the question, who am I? I can't do this. I can't bring freedom. Honestly, that's the best thought to have every day in your life. I can't do it. He's bringing into question, I have no status. I have no power. And really, he's asking, I know I can't do it, but if I go, will you abandon me? Will you leave me? Will you send me out to hang and dry? God, I'm going, but uh, what's going to happen? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you. That it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? The who am I of verse 11 turns to in verse 13, Who are you? Who am I going to say sent me? Supposed to go, God, El, which is the Hebrew word for El, God, you know, um, who am I supposed to say sent me? Then God answers the real question. The issue at hand is his name, which is connected to deliverance. It's not a label he gives him, not a title, not just a name. But he gives them, and we could spend years talking about this, he gives them a theology connected with this deliverance in his name. This is the name that will shape the story of God's people. And the story of deliverance will give credence, validity to what his name is. So here it is. Exodus 3.14. I told you, memorize or underline, I said, underline, John 8.58, now underline 3.14. Here's what he says. 
Who am I to say sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am who I am. Now, I remember after the second year of Hebrew, we had to do this, not just learning Hebrew, but we had to go through different portions of Scripture and translate them and and work on putting sermons to them, exegesis. And it was tough. And we got to this portion, and oh, this was tough. This could be translated in, in, in a variety of ways. I am who I am. I wrote some of these down for you. I will be what I will be. I cause to be because I cause to be. He causes to be what is. He who causes to be is. He is eternally existent, not dependent on anything. He exists beyond our comprehension. I am who I am. He is completely dependent on nothing but Himself. I am who I am. This is the God. He is the great I am. He is completely transcendent, completely above all created things. Yet, He is present everywhere. He is the great I am. In Hebrew, it's just the repeated verb of the form to be. I am to be to be. I am who I am. And this is related to the word, the title, Yahweh. Have you heard that before? Yahweh. He reveals His actual proper name, Yahweh. In the next verse, I am this God. I'm not just the God who is the God, but I am this God who is Yahweh. In fact, we read this last week in 6. He said, To the forefathers, I revealed myself as El El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I've never revealed myself as, and the word there is Yahweh. Yahweh. Here he reveals his name. In our translations, the English translations, whenever we see this term, this word Yahweh, it means this covenantal God. I'm the God who will be your God and you will be my people and here is my personal name. But we don't have Yahweh in our Bibles. Instead we have Lord. So take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 8. Your Bibles turn to Psalm chapter 8. We have it here up on the screen. Do we also have the Hebrew with that? There, okay, here we go. Excellent. Psalm chapter 8. Here's a great example. In fact, if you turn to pretty much any psalm, just open up the psalm, you will see the word Lord. Lord. Because as the people came to know Him, they worshipped Him as Lord. So Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Again, at first when I read this, I think, oh, there's an error in the Bible. It should say, in my opinion, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic are the mountains in all the earth, right? Have you been in the mountains? Beautiful. I stand on the mountaintops, and I just go, wow! But every 
Mountain Peak I summited. I'm a peak beggar. That's what they would call me in Washington State. I would say this out loud. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But notice in your Bibles, take a look at it. It says, oh Lord, it's all capitals. Even though the font is for the L, maybe 11, then the O-R-D is font number 9. I'm just making these numbers up. You notice how it goes, Lord, but it's all capitals. Oh Lord, our Lord, and then it's capital L, but then lowercase O-R-D. So in our Bibles, whenever Yahweh, so take a look here, Psalm, Deborah, I got up on the screen, Lord, when it's all capitals, underneath there is this four-letter name, Yahweh. So in your Bibles, whenever it's all capitals, take, go, take your Psalms and turn to a different Psalm. See capital L-O-R-D? That's Yahweh, the great I Am. I am this Lord, who's not just Adonai, your, our Lord, but he's Yahweh, our personal Lord. In fact, in Jewish rabbinic literature, when we were studying this in seminary, we would read passages where when the Orthodox Jews read a verse like this, they would say this in Hebrew. They would say, instead of going Yahweh, Adonahu, they would say Hashem, Adonai. They would say Hashem, which means the name. God's name, his personal name, Yahweh, is so holy. Think of the Ten Commandments. Don't take the Lord's name. Don't use it in vain. They won't even say Yahweh. They will say the name. Hashem. They'll say the name. It's so holy. In fact, some people, when they write out these four letters, the Tetragrammaton, these four letters, Yahweh, they'll throw that pen away. Because they just wrote the holiest most beautiful name in the world, that pen now is worthless. This is the sacred name. But what does it mean? There's intimacy in the relationship. And by God giving us this intimate name, He's saying, I'm not just going to be your God. I'm not just going to be El. I'm not just going to be Adonai. I'm not just going to be El Shaddai. I'm going to be Yahweh. And this name is going to shape our story. It's my personal name. So when they hear the name, when they say the name, when they read it in the Psalms, it means Savior, Deliverer, Lord, Sufficient. He's my God, and He's going to save me. God gives Himself to us in His covenant name. Back to Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. I remember when I read this the first couple times, I was like, this is weird. It's like, watch me as I walk on the stage here. I am who I am, who I am. It's like a big circle. I am who I am. I am what? Here it is. God in His name gives Himself to us to meet our deepest need. I am whatever you need it's like a blank check here it is imagine the richest guy on the planet richest lady on the planet gives you a blank check oh whatever you want oh that'd be nice 
God gives himself to us in his name. God will always be whatever his people need him to be at any given moment or place. God will be there for you. So take your bulletins out. I've got a copy of this here, I think. Take your bulletins and we designed a handout for you. Take a look at this. Yahweh. I am what you need. And why are we saying this? Because often in Scripture, and I, I only put seven of them here, seven different times, there's other times where this word Yahweh is combined with what they need. I am what you need. For instance, the first one we got written down there is, I am Yahweh Shalom. I am peace. Gideon built an altar, there's, there's armies, there's warfare happening all around, and God is victorious in all these things. And Gideon proclaims, so Gideon, Joshua, Judges 6, 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and there called it, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom. It says, to this day it stands. Yahweh Shalom. God is saying, if you need peace, don't find it anywhere else. The world tries to give you peace. It won't be that. If you need peace, turn to Yahweh Shalom. He is peace. Then the next one we've got there. Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah. Um, try to simplify this. There, um, Yahweh, again, the, the four letters are very hard to translate and, and to put. There's no vowels with it. So what do you do with this, this tetragrammaton? So, um, Scholars then took the vowels of, I believe it was Adonai, and put the vowels of that to Yahweh, and then they got Jehovah, which I think the Germans did that. And so it's not the best, Jehovah isn't really the best. It'd be like taking my consonants, Hebrew's written only in consonants, and putting the vowels of my wife's name to my name. It just doesn't make sense. Jehovah, it's not the best way. Yahweh, Yahweh Jireh, my provider. Genesis 22 Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. He's ready to do it in faith. He raises it up, and what happens? God provides a ram in the thicket. God is the great provider. The next one, Yahweh Nisi. Exodus 17. Moses, there's a, there's a battle happening. And God says this, Moses, raise your hands up and you will win. Moses starts getting tired, right? He's getting tired. And Aaron and her come alongside and keep his hands up. Because when his hands are up, there's victory. When his hands go down, they begin to lose. And at the end, there's victory. And the word Nisi means banner. Lift up the banner. Raise it high. God is the victory. He brought you victory. Yahweh Nisi, banner, victory. The next one, he is the healer, Yahweh Rapha. Exodus 15, at the end of the song, the people are all excited. God just delivered them. They're like, let's get something to drink. Oh, this water is bitter. <laughs> so they call it Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And they complain and grumble. God just saved them. And it's amazing how people can complain. Says Moses, take this stick, throw it in there. You can drink the water. It would be nice now. Hopefully, it tastes like root beer because then they could drink it all the time. He did that, and at the end, he goes, "Listen, people, quit your complaining. 
I will be your healer. I am Yahweh Rapha, the healer. Then the next one, Yahweh Ra, the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. He is our shepherd. The next one, Yahweh Sekenu. Yahweh Sekenu, which is righteousness. In Jeremiah, he talks about there's a day coming when I will raise up for David the branch of righteousness, a branch of the king. In the days of Judah, it will happen. And Israel will live in safety. And the name that you will call upon is Yahweh Sekenu. The Lord is our righteousness. He is our Savior. And the last one I have on here is Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is present. Everyone take a look at me. All these things, we have great needs. But I put this one at the end because I want you to know that God is present. He dwells with his people again the main focus of exodus isn't just the deliverance isn't all these great signs and wonders is all this stuff isn't just the the giving of the commandments chapter 40 reveals the main purpose of the exodus that god will dwell with them god is present god is present he dwells with his people He is the great I am. And God's name is seen as Yahweh. The heart of deliverance is not just the acts that he does. They're going to be great and wonderful, but it's his name that does it. To know the name Yahweh is to trust God. To know this name is to know that he's the great I am. This is what the Lord wants his children to know. I am your great deliverer. Exodus 3 is awesome. This is not the full disclosure of God. Chapter 6, last week we talked about, he's going to do all these great things, seven things. I will do this, I will do this. But that's not the full disclosure. For in Christ, we see the full glory of God. Amen? It's in Christ we see God revealing clearly who he is. He is the fullness of God and God was pleased to have the fullness dwell in Christ and God invites us to know his name through Christ knowing God takes its fullest expression in Jesus Christ Jesus is the great I am In Christ and only in Christ can we fully understand who God is and what He is like. So let's go to the book of John again. In fact, take your card and flip it over. I am. Sayings in in John's Gospel. Instead of us creating this, someone else did this. We got this for you here. Seven things, the seven I am's of the book of John. The first one, I am 
the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger. Exodus chapter 16, if you read into that, we'll find out that the people are, they just got complaining about the water, and God says, I'm going to be your healer. Quit complaining. Oh, we need some food. We're hungry. They're grumbling, complaining. They need food, and God provides manna from heaven. Jesus comes from heaven and provides his greatest concern is to satisfy you, not just physically, but spiritually. That's his concern. And Jesus is the bread of life to satisfy your spiritual hunger. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. The next one. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I will have, but will have the light of life. In fact, this comes from John 8. In John 7, they just finished the Festival of Tabernacles, which we'll talk about as we do our Passover meal coming up in a couple weeks. Light was brought in. They had to bring candles and light to remember their wanderings in the desert. This lighting ceremony, lighting the lamps. Jesus is the true light from heaven who dispels darkness. Amen? He's the light of the world. I am the light. And He guides us on the path. The next one. The gate for the sheep or the door. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door or the gate. Whoever enters through Me will be saved. Sheep pens had one entry, one gate, not a bunch of exits so they could all get out and play, but one entry. Just as most buildings have one entry to get in. And the kingdom of he heaven has one entrance. And it is through Jesus. He's the door. He's the gate. He's the only way. He's the door. He's the gate. The next one, I am the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are like sheep, wandering, blind, lost. Christ is the good shepherd who brings us. We have strayed from God. And some of you might think, I've walked a thousand steps away from God. One step back to Him in repentance. It's not doing a bunch of stuff. It's repentance. Turning to Christ. He is the Good Shepherd. The next one. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die. That's the hope. That's the hope of every Christian funeral. Though they're dead, if they believe in Christ, they have eternal life. And it's through Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Read the first part of Romans 6. Then a famous one here. 
John 14, 6. In fact, everyone turn there. Maybe you're not used to some of these I am's. Here's another one in your Bible. Underline this one. John 14, 6. It said, underline Romans 8, 58. Underline uh, Exodus, almost said Ephesians. Exodus chapter 3, 14. Now, this one here is the famous one. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in this pluralistic society that says, well, all paths lead to the same God. Oh, Yahweh's the same. You can call him Yahweh if you're Hebrew. You can call him Jesus if you're a Christian. You can call him Allah if you're Muslim. They all lead to the same paths. False! It's only through Jesus Christ. We don't make Christianity exclusive. He does. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way. The next one. I am the true vine. Out of John chapter 15, verse 1. And then he gives this, talks about all the vineyard. We are the branches. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus brings us in union with God. I encourage you, look up these passages. Read the context. Read the story about them. They're powerful. In the telling of who He is, He has revealed important things about what we need. Without Him, we will starve. Without Him, we will be lost forever. We need guidance. We need bread. Without Him, there will be destruction and death. And ultimately, spiritual bondage to the sin. John 8.24 says, You would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. Let me end with this. Some people, they're Orthodox Jewish, very strict, and they're too afraid to say Those four letters put together, which we would pronounce Yahweh. Instead, they say, the name. It's too holy, which it is holy. Kick off your shoes. This is holy ground. They feel that they're breaking one of the commandments. To some Jewish scholars, they they toss away the pen after they write those four letters down. Yahweh. Throw that pen away. It's not even worth anything now. It just wrote the most beautiful thing on the planet. Some Jews wanted to kill Jesus because he used that name. The question is this How will you respond to the great I am? This is just a sample how he gives himself to us in his name today if you need deliverance he's the great i am today if you need peace 
He is the great I Am. Today, if you need spiritual nourishment, He is the great I Am. Turn to Christ. Before Abraham was born, I Am. Not only did He consider Himself equal to God, which He is, He also took the nature of God by saying, I'm the great I am. I am that Yahweh. I'm here to save you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. And there are so many names that you go by. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. You're the, the promised one. You're a creator. You're a wonderful counselor, mighty God, the Prince of Peace. You're the bread of life. You're the great shepherd, the Alpha Omega. Those are all true and specific names revealing the beauty of who you are. But the greatest name is that Yahweh. But it's not a name on itself. You compound it, you put with it things that we need. And Lord, I pray right now that all of us right now would say, God, I've got these needs in my heart. And as Lindsay sings this song, that we would present those needs to you in our hearts. And you would reveal yourself and show us the beauty that you are the great I am. How could we not stand in awe that you just didn't push a button to save us, that you said, I will save you, and I will be the one that does it. And it's spelled out in my name. Thank you, Jesus, for being the great one. Let's stand as we worship.